applicants for its Residential Magnet Program. Information at nhcshawks.org. The queen of hip-hop soul, Mary J. Blige, just wailing on one of U2's most iconic tracks. And with Bono and the crew doing backup, now that's a cover. One love, one life, one radio station, one undercover. Fridays, 2 to 4 p.m. on WERU-FM, 89.9 in Blue Hill. One love. Support for WERU comes from our listeners and from the Maine Community Foundation, working with donors and other partners to improve the quality of life for all Maine people on the web at maincf. And you are listening to Community Radio, WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, and streaming worldwide at WERU.org. Stay tuned for Talk of the Towns with Ron Beard. Good morning and welcome to Talk of the Towns here on WERU. We try to go beyond the headlines to make sense of the issues facing Maine communities to share what works and to seek alternative solutions. Talk of the Towns began in 1993 with support from University of Maine Cooperative Extension. Cooperative Extension puts knowledge to work with the people of Maine and like WERU, whose mission is to be a voice of many voices, operates out of a sense that everyone benefits when we share our knowledge, our experience, our concerns, our perspectives. We're about to practice the magic of community radio in which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue that we hope will be a benefit to our friends, our neighbors, and colleagues. I hope you'll stay with us for the next hour and talk of the towns. The Union River watershed is our topic today. It stretches from above Route 9 in Aurora to Union River Bay, draining about 500 square miles of Hancock and Penobscot counties. The river's three branches and associated streams total about 480 miles. Since the early 1900s, the dam just above Route 1 in Ellsworth has generated electricity. That dam, owned by a Canadian firm, is up for relicensing by the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. So today's program, I'm very happy to welcome some guests who can help us talk about both the, um, the river and the watershed, its current status, um, biology, and, and so on, as well as um, how um, it's used for generating electricity and what the relicensing process is all about. With us in the studio are Dwayne Shaw. Dwayne is the executive director of the Downey Salmon Federation. Welcome, Dwayne. Good morning, Ron. Thanks for having us. We're also joined by uh, Brad Perry. Uh, Brad is uh, friends of Graham Lake. Mm-hmm. Yes, I am. Thank you very much. And live in Mariahville. Mariahville right. on Tannery Brook Road. Great. And Mark Whiting. Mark is a retired biologist with Maine Department of Environmental Protection. That's why we say DEP. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mark, welcome to you. Thank you. Good morning. As, as we get started, perhaps each of you could give a thumbnail sketch of, of how you come to this interest in the Union River, um, a little bit about the organizations you represent, and then we'll um, learn more about the Union River. Duane, could we start with you and, and, the, and your work with the Downey Salmon Federation? Sure. Thanks, Ron. Uh, Downey Salmon Federation has been around in um, Washington County in eastern Maine since 1982, and in fact, we were catalyzed. We were really started by anglers, mm. salmon fishermen, um, and, and catalyzed to sort of action because of a dam that was being built at the time on the Pleasant River in Columbia Falls. And that dam was um, a source of a lot of concern about fish passage, just like we're talking about here on the Union River. And ultimately, we, we found a solution there. And in fact, we're celebrating a fisheries success story 
um, this weekend, Saturday, with our smelt fry over there. So we've taken what was a problem and we say turned it into a solution. We're celebrating that. We could do the same thing on the union in the future. Mm. And what's your own background? How did you come to this work? Oh, well, I I moved to Maine to to fish and hunt, really. But yeah. I really went to, to college to study the uh, fish and wildlife and and ended up at Humane Machias in the um, 1981, just when this particular incident was happening with the dam being built on the Pleasant River. So I, I've been studying fisheries. I've been involved in fisheries restoration and primarily with non-governmental organizations, um, nonprofit, local, community-based groups that are are moved to action. And that's uh, we do a lot of outreach and education work. So I'm a, a biologist by training, and I've been doing that work both in fi- shellfish and finfish, wild fisheries, um, since the early 80s. Mm, good. Brad, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and the friends of Graham Lake. Uh, we moved here just a few years, about four years ago. We oh. bought this house on Graham Lake. Uh, we wanted to be closer to our grandchildren. I've got two in Ellsworth and two down in Sedgwick. Um, when we first moved here, we were aware that there were some issues with the lake and the drawdowns in the lake, but people in the neighborhood told us it's fine. You know, it's going to be interesting <laughs> when the water's at, at least at a low level. Uh-huh. Um, we bought this house and actually moved in when I retired. Uh, and since then, it's gotten exponentially worse. Uh, Black Bear, the company that operates the, the hydro facility, has drawn down the lake for long, long periods of time where it's just mud flats absolutely cutting off any recreational use. And uh, as a result of that, we realized that we needed to organize as a community. So we started this Friends of Graham Lake. They call us Fogel for short. Everybody mm-hmm. needs their acronyms. <laughs> <laughs> we found ours. Uh, but uh, we're fighting as as much as we can. We became interveners in the, the FERC process. Okay. We'll come to the, the regulatory process in, in a few minutes. But uh, um, And how many members? What, who, who makes up the Friends of, of Graham Lake? Uh, we've got a, a, an email list, uh, upwards of 60 people right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've missed out on a lot of the seasonal people, and mm-hmm. we hope to get the word out to them uh, more and more. Mm-hmm. We'd like to have double that number if we could. There's probably double that number on the lake. Mm-hmm. And and um, the the notion of uh, Graham Lake is somewhat artificial. It's a, it's it's created um, by the dam that's used to kind of provide the head for the the dam downstream, which is right in Ellsworth. Yes, but there are some recreational uh, expectations. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Um, and then Mark Whiting, um, your career was with uh, Maine DEP as a biologist. A little bit more about your own background and, and what you're doing now. Well, I'm retired. Great. Unfortunately. So I live in Ellsworth. Uh, I'm a local, and I'm here representing the Union Salmon Association today. So like the Downey Salmon Federation, we started out as a a salmon club. But we've evolved and have become more conservation-oriented. And so we're, we're really interested in anything um, that has to do with conservation, water quality uh, in the Union River area. Uh, we share a lot of our uh, people and um, projects with the Down East Salmon Federation. So in some respects, we're kind of the western wing of the, the not quite Down East part of the Down East Salmon Federation. <laughs> and uh, we used to have our own hatchery. Um, and that was a large part of our effort. We had to give that up, ironically, because of water quality issues. We'll talk more about water quality later. Mm. Um, but this is your, the, the local salmon association yeah. had a hatchery. We did. And again, it was right in Ellsworth. It was down by the uh, water treatment plant. Okay. Yeah. And um, uh, we're still involved with um, educational projects. We have a a school curriculum curriculum that we take into local schools. It's called Fish Friends. And so young people get a bunch of eggs. They have an aquarium with a chilling unit. And they grow fish up to uh, fry size, and they turn them loose in the river. Mm. But they learn about uh, the biology and um, life stages of salmon. Uh, they learn about the Union River and um, 
they get to participate in some conservation activities by sure. releasing Move that their microphone fish. a little bit closer. Pick it right okay. up. Move right in there. Great. Um, uh, Dwayne, may, maybe you can help us with kind of uh, Union is a salmon river. Um, before there was a, a dam, there were salmon and other fish passing. Tell us a little bit about the ecology and, and the, the history of the Union River. Sure. It's very similar to the history of almost every river in the country or mm -hmm. certainly New England in that it was used during the industrial period to mill lumber and to mill corn and and then eventually to um, generate electricity in, all in the same spot, I would add, right above the head of tide, just above the, the Route 1 bridge. You, you can spy it if you drive slowly over the Route 1 bridge in Ellsworth. So it's this dam was the largest dam, the tallest dam in New England, power dam, when it was built. It's about 70 feet tall. It's a, it's a pretty big structure. but the And it was a miracle of engineering. I mean, there's a lot of documentation about how mm. extraordinary this was at the time. However, they forgot one very important thing, the fish. So the miracle um, sort of only got so far as the power generation, and they did not put fish passage in. And, and and at the time, this was 1900 or so? 1907. 1907. Was it expected that um, there would be attention paid to fish passage in that era? There's, there's always been a, expectations of that by uh, society. However, there's been a lot of politics mm. and, and persuasive uh, activities, you might say, that mm -hmm. resulted in uh, what we ended up with. And so people thought at the time, and we've documented all of this, there was a lot of debate, and there was continued debate on through um, for over 100 years now of this period of this particular dam. So, um, and every 40 years or 35 years, the license comes up for renewal. So this is um, the time. Mm -hmm. And at that point in time, then then um, everything gets put on the table again. So that's kind of the licensing process. But, but what's been lost, if you will, is, like you said, 500 square miles of Hancock County and all of its uh, people call rivers the lifeblood of Maine. So what are um, very important fisheries were just eliminated. And some of them persist in very minor ways now. And I think that we need to re-envision, this is our opportunity to re-envision um, fisheries again as an important feature in that system. And, and I say it's something like climate denial. Um, people are in fisheries denial. <laughs> they don't quite believe, there's a lot of cynicism, um, and you know people question the science and so on, but there's no denying the facts that uh, what we've seen on the Penobscot has been just a remarkable resurgence of fisheries because of the dams, removal that happened. So, and again, and, and you've got some examples within your territory of, of rivers that weren't dammed um, or don't have such a significant um, difficulty. What would be normally happening on the Union River if that dam wasn't there? Um, what fish would be passing now? Um, and, and what it would what would we leave living there, yeah. basically? Right. So right right now, the, the smelt are moving. And, and I just mentioned that we have a smelt fry that's happening uh, tomorrow in right. Columbia Falls. And the only reason we have that happening in Columbia Falls is because a, a wing of the dam was removed by us in 1997 that allowed those eggs to incubate and then hatch. And we have one of the most robust smelt populations in the country on the east coast of the United States in Columbia Falls directly as a result of that. So the same thing could be happening here um, on the Union. And then you add to that shad, and you add to blueback herring, alewives, and we're talking each of these in the, um, potentially in the millions, certainly the alewives and shad, um, or the alewives, shad, probably hundreds of thousands, perhaps. So there could be just immense numbers of fish. And those are the adults going up. And then, of course, there's billions of juveniles coming down. And this happens every single year, forever, mm -hmm. if you can uh, reopen this. So from an economic standpoint, it's a much, much bigger driver than the small amount of energy that's produced. So when you start to weigh these things together at, at this point in time, um, 
it seems like a no-brainer. Mm. So um, who else uses the river? Um, I think some of you are kayakers or canoeists, I suppose. Um, is, there, are there, is, is the Union a significant river for conservationists and recreationists? Absolutely. Mark? So the um, part of the Union River below Graham Lake Dam uh, has some really nice white water. And, and a lot of people go there, and they lodge right underneath the um, 1A bridge. It's a good place to put in, really nice white water. Um, doesn't go very far, so you have to kind of turn around and come back, but it's, it's really enjoyable. Um, uh, Graham Lake, I, I kayak in Graham Lake all the time. Mm. Um, it has some problems with access when the water is drowned, drawn down, but... Um, and it can be muddy at times, but it can also be very pretty and scenic. Um, uh, I like it. Mm. Um, Brad, anything better. to add as a, as a, a lake sh owner, a, a, a camp owner, a house owner? Yes, I, I think I do. Um, first of all, I want to say, you know, we are in favor of hydropower as a source of power. It's mm. clean, it's renewable, and it doesn't go off when the sun sets or, <laughs> sure. or when the wind doesn't blow. Right. But uh, it's, so it's useful in that respect. But they have to respect the people that use the lake. Um, there's actually two lakes that are involved. There's Leonard Lake, which is just above the dam, uh, and then Graham Lake. And there's a dam at both of those. those and then the, beyond that, there are three branches to the Union River. Yes. Again, you've mentioned canoeing kind of towards the southerly end of the river, but there are three branches. I don't know if all of yes. those are canoeist, canoeing. Yeah. Yes, mm -hmm. and they're just gorgeous. Yeah. And they're significant um, uh, ecological areas. So there's like five different rare species on the, on the west branch, for instance. And the water quality is superb. So if you go above the dams, the water quality is, is excellent. Is great, because right. there isn't any industry to speak of up there. There's some forestry, not so much agriculture. Mm -hmm. um, so it's relatively pristine conditions in, in, that, in that upper portion of Penobscot, mm -hmm. uh, Hancock and Penobscot counties. Um, how else has the river been used? Uh, Dwayne, think about the history. You, you mentioned um, the mills that were there. Um, um, uh, what else was going on? Again, we're t going back to the 1700s and the 1800s. Sure. Well, the fisheries, of course, were a, just a tremendous um, use initially. And then, of course, log driving okay. was, was the dominant um, industry for about 100 years probably or maybe more and and um, the the river was the mechanism of moving the wood and there were many many smaller dams built and then some um, mills built as well a number of mills and you can still see the the old mill sites in various places um, so the rivers were were um, manufactured if you will they were altered in order to get the logs down so mm. there was a lot of dynamite a lot of black powder mm. used <laughs> moving boulders moving all the snags and things out of the river and um that had some effect on fisheries obviously but um they were used as sewers as well so of course they were open sewers for many years and and the clean water act um, addressed that to a large part so, um, and then just the change in industry, such as occurred, occurred that we're no longer using the rivers as, as transport for logs. Um, there was recreational fisheries as well as commercial fisheries there. And um, I think, again, you know, hydro, there is such a thing as green hydro, uh, low impact hydro, but the um, the issue of fish passage has to be addressed, and in many, many situations, that's not being addressed. So while the energy may be renewable, it's not necessarily green until you deal with um, the fish that need to have a place there and, and the other organisms, obviously. Mm -hmm. So that's, that is the concern. And, and so there can be a balance that could be struck, and, and the Penobscot River is an example of that, where at Milford, a very modern uh, fishway has been built, and it works quite well. And the same company, Brookfield or Black Bear, um, has built that there. So what we're asking is that 
that we have um, the gold standard of fish passage installed here, just as has been done on the Penobscot, so that we could have our cake and eat it too, if you will. Mm. Now, some companies under some circumstances will decide, well, well, that's going to cost a lot of money and, and we're not so sure we want to do that or um, or can do it. And, and that's the debate that's happening right now is um, to build a fish elevator is exactly what we're talking about, over a 70-foot tall dam, and then to build screening so that all the fish moving downstream don't go through the turbines, which is what's been happening for over 100 years here um, because fish have been trucked around the dam they can in, get in up, very, upstream, but they, they don't. can, uh, but in a very um, primitive a, kind of fashion. Primitive, uh, <laughs> right? Trucking fish in a, with a little trailer is not, you know, it's not at scale, and it right. certainly doesn't really work very well. I'll just remind listeners: we're talking about the Union River and the status of the relicensing process for the dam in Ellsworth. Uh, we're joined by Dwayne Shaw, executive director of the Downey Salmon Federation. Brad Perry of Friends of Graham Lake, and Mark Whiting, a retired biologist and a member of the board for the Union Salmon Association. Um, let's talk a little bit about the relicensing process. Um, you mentioned this happens every 30 or uh, 35, 40 years. What is the process? Uh, Dwayne, can we start with you and then get comments perhaps from, from Mark? Sure. Um, when, a, when a license like this gets renewed, it there's, there's an assumption that everything gets looked at. So there's not a default renewal. Um, everything gets put on the table, including fish passage, power generation. In fact, there's even an opportunity for companies to come in and, and um, sort of bid against the company that's in there currently. So, And then the water quality gets addressed, and there are new standards, of course, a new science that comes when we're talking about a 35-year license, there's um, obviously new information that comes forward, new uses in the community and so on. So the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission has a part of that licensing. The main DEP has the Clean Water Act-related aspects of it. Fish Passenger um, is considered by DEP as well as by U.S. Fish, Maine DMR, um, NOAA Fisheries, so all the natural resource agencies are involved in, in various ways in this. And then FERC is, is kind of the final arbiter other than the courts. And oftentimes these things um, end up in the courts. And the last time this got licensed, it, it did end up in court. So and now, I, and I would just say, the new condition now is that Atlantic salmon have been placed on the endangered species list. 35-plus years ago, we were still fishing for them, mm. angling. And so this uh, habitat is designated as critical habitat. So that has set a very uh, different track for this whole proceeding. And, and just um, in, a very, in a nutshell, where is the process right now? Where, what's happening right now? Um, well, the environmental assessment has been done. The open comment period about that has, has been uh, recently closed. That, but however, you can still submit comments in, in other ways. Um, I think we had over 500 community um, members comment about and the need for improved water management at the lake and uh, fisheries passage. So it's still in, uh, in the throes of it, if you will. And then Maine DEP also has just um, allowed Black Bear to reapply. So they put an initial status quo application in to continue what they had been doing, and DEP sent it right back and said, no way. Mm. So, so the, Mark, you had yeah. some, some role with DEP. Um, talk a little bit about the water quality issues that you're aware of and how that affects um, this whole relicensing process. Okay. So we're four years into this process. It began around 2015. I think um, Brookfield, Black Bear Hydro, anticipated having a permit in hand by now. But um, the issues, I think, have been kind of overwhelming for everybody. Um, so Maine DEP um, will oversee the Clean Water Act aspects of the relicensing. They're looking for what is called a clean water certification. Um, basically, FERC will defer to DEP's judgment on these water quality issues. 
DEP has looked at a, a number of different things, water, water quality related. They've looked at trophic state, which is the nutrients in the lake, whether or not it's blooming. Um, they've looked at oxygen levels. They've looked at uh, micro, uh, uh, macro invertebrates, so bugs, basically, um, in the lake and in the stream. Um, oxygen. Oxygen, yeah. Mm -hmm. So oxygen levels are largely good, especially below the dams. <laughs> <laughs> because the, the, the water is tumbling and mixing with oxygen. Yeah. With air, basically. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Oxygen levels tend to be a little bit low in both lakes. Um, this, this, is, this hasn't been a major issue so far. Otherwise, the oxygen levels are good. Most of the other uh, environmental issues have checked out well. The big problems that have been identified in the licensing process have been the major water level drawdowns in Graham. Leonard's Lake isn't drawn down at all. They so keep that as a pretty level level lake, basically. Yeah, so this is the big dam, mm -hmm. and um, keeping the lake full provides the maximum amount of pressure on the turbines to get the maximum amount of power generation. So all the drawdowns are done in Graham Lake. Okay. And Graham Lake is a very large lake, but it's also very shallow. So the average depth for the lake is 17 feet, but the allowed water level drawdown is over 11 feet. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, so it leaves about half the... If, if Brookfield or the dam owner actually draws it down to the furthest extent, it leaves about half the lake dry. Mm. Mm. And this yeah. is 10,000 acres we're talking about. It's a 10,000 acre. It's 10 miles long. This is a yes. big lake. Mm. It's the biggest in Hancock County. Not the biggest, but, you know, a, still a large lake, even by Maine standards. And... Um, so where was I going with this? Well, the just the other aspects. Yeah. I think so, the attainment thing is a, is a big part of this, right? Yeah. The so, so the water level drawdown is one of the big issues because when the water level is drawn down, uh, it basically eliminates the entire littoral zone of the lake. So the littoral zone is that near shore area. It's sunlit. It's where all the plants are. It's where a lot of the invertebrates are. It's where all the small fish are, and the big fish come in there, and they breed there. And so this is a, a hot spot of biodiversity in the lake. And it's extremely important for the productivity of the lake. When you draw that down, you lose all of that. And so DEP has standards for that. So this is one of the issues that DEP can really help us with. So DEP allows only 75% of that littoral zone to be drawn down. So that's going to be a big change for Brookfield. So instead of an 11 foot and a fraction drop down, they're probably going to be limited to about three and a half feet. We don't know yet because there's still some controversy about where the starting point is and where the ending point is. And um, uh, but that's probably going to be, so it's going to it's going to uh, be a whole lot better for the camp owners, the, the neighbors. To Brad, the tell us a little bit about what uh, that, that kind of news meant for your association, um, the Graham Lake, Friends of Graham Lake, it, when, you, when you began to realize that there were new standards that would be applied. Well, when we got, we got involved very quickly because mm -hmm. of that. Uh, you know, I envision a lake where our, our kids can jump off the dock and swim, and uh, my wife and I both uh, enjoy bass fishing. Uh, you can't get to bass when the lake is low. We've seen a dramatic reduction in the number of frogs and turtles uh, in the lake. Mm -hmm. There's hardly any anymore since they've been drawing the lake down so much. Mm -hmm. um, so we see the health of the lake as being very important for us recreationally as mm -hmm. well as uh, for that biodiversity that Mark mentioned. Mm -hmm. And Mark, you're, you're um, cited as someone who knows about turbidity. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about <laughs> yeah, what that so is. That's the DEP background again. Uh -huh. So um, when the water levels are very high, the waves cut into the shoreline and create uh, a lot of turbidity. So turbidity is suspended sediment in the water. It's dirty water, mm -hmm. in essence. And Brookfield is seeking a clean water cert certification. So <laughs> dirty water is just the opposite of what they want. 
Um, also, when the leg is drawn down, it exposes all these big mud flats. And that's another opportunity to, for waves to act on what is now the shore and, um, and train a lot of sediment again. So uh, we felt that we didn't have very good turbidity data. Um, DEP wasn't measuring it. DEP, DEP wasn't pushing Brookfield to measure it. So we measured it. So uh -huh. I just went and did it. Uh, turbidity studies in the past had been done um, along with other um, water quality modeling, lake, kind of limnological studies, we call them. These were typically done once or twice a month, and um, turbidity was just part of that. So this, this was a turbidity study. Turbidity is different from these other things in that it changes. It's very heterogeneous in the lake. Um, with, it depends on which way the wind is blowing, where the, where the fetch is worse, where there's erodible materials. And so um, if you look at a satellite picture of turbidity in the lake, um, it can be entirely here and not there. It can affect just the southern part. It can leave the northern part completely blue. Um, and so... Uh, there wasn't any study like this, so I just went and did it. I was water, I was measuring turbidity downstream of the lake. I didn't have a boat. Mm. So I just went downstream uh, at Route 1A, and I measured turbidity every single day. And what I learned is that the turbidity has a lot to do with the water level. And so this is good news because it's a way that uh, that we can address the turbidity issue. So if we can eliminate some of the higher stands in the lake, and if we can eliminate the really low stands, then we can eliminate a, lar a large part of the turbidity. So DEP, if they regulate the uh, water level drawdowns like we think they will, that'll eliminate half of the turbidity issue. Mm. And is turbidity an impact not only on what it looks like, but is it an effective effect on fish and, and invertebrates? And what's, what's yes, the that's true. Yeah. So... Turbidity is a visual problem. It's a problem for people because if you're swimming in the lake, you can't see what's coming. You could run right into a, <laughs> a rock big eel. or something. If <laughs> um, children are out in the water playing and they get in over their heads, you need to be able to find them okay. and rescue them. And you, you can't do that if you can't see them. Um, fish have the same problem. They like to see where they're going. Um, many fish are visual predators. And then as turbidity gets worse and worse, you begin to see other issues. So turbidity, the, the dirt particles in the water begin to cling to the fish. It clings to the gills, and it, it affects their ability to breathe. It gets in their eyes and makes them gritty. Um, and um, uh, fish that breed in the lake... Um, they clean out an area, they spawn, they leave the eggs there. Uh, the eggs have to breathe too. So if you have turbidity, if you have the suspended sediment that's been churned up but then begins to settle back, it can smother every living thing on the lake bottom or on the river bottom. Right. You're tuned to Talk of the Towns here on WERU. We're talking about the Union River and the status of the relicensing process for electrical generation. Uh, you've just heard from Mark Whiting, a retired biologist from DEP and also a member of the Union River, a uh, Union Salmon Association. Um, he's joined by Brad Perry of the Friends of Graham Lake, uh, a resident of Mariahville, and Dwayne Shaw, executive director of the Down East Salmon Federation. So um, the, we, we, I think we've got a sense of, of the hist history of the river, got a sense of, of the, the, the environmental issues, um, a sense of the relicensing process. Um, before we open up the phone lines, maybe each of you could talk about what you'd like to see come out of this relicensing process. What's the best scenario that you can imagine? Brad, for, uh, as, a, as a lakeshore <laughs> owner, what's the best scenario you could imagine? Uh, the lake levels is, is my, our primary concern. Mm -hmm. And the health of the, the lake itself, because mm -hmm. we, we do enjoy fishing. So if we can solve those problems, I would be very happy. Yeah. Mark, what's your sense of what the best outcome might be? So I think we're making really good progress on the water levels. I, I really have a lot of hope that that's going to change in mm -hmm. a very positive way that will really help the lakefront owners. What I would like to see more is DEP involvement on the turbidity issue. 
So I think that they can fix half the turbidity by um, dealing with a, the water level issue. But the, the turbidity um, is going to continue. Mm -hmm. um, and DEP, unfortunately, doesn't have water quality criteria for turbidity. So this is the number one pollutant in the United States of America. And for some reason, DEP just doesn't have a standard for that. Hmm. And I hope that this process and this community involvement can get DEP to take this more seriously. Mm. Mm. And, Dwayne, what would your best outcome be, do you think? Well, I think, you know, we've heard two statements just now, one very local, you know, the mm. lake level itself so that the kids can swim, and then a much bigger issue about turbidity as a measure across the United States, right, as, as a condition criteria under Clean Water Act. But, you know, in the, in the sense of the urgency now about this particular license and what are the sort of controlling um, laws that will come to bear, um, it's, it's these things as well as the fisheries issues. So what we've said is, um, you know, Brookfield, you're a new owner. So I think one thing that's important here is to remember Bangor Hydro had this for um, almost 100 years, nine, 89 years or something mm. like that. And they managed it differently. Even though their license allowed them to do certain things, they didn't go to the extremes that Brookfield has. So um, Brookfield has been much more aggressive. And as a result, now they're, they've sort of um, made their bed, so to speak, because right, in, right coming up to the licensing point, they chose to draw the lake down to its extreme allowable condition. And, it, it, and they also um, were generating power at times when fish were moving. So they were chopping up fish, moving out through the turbines, they were creating a load of turbidity, creating a lot of enemies around the lake, whereas for many years prior, Bangor Hydro had done things differently, even though the license allowed them to do certain things. So Brookfield now is asking essentially for forgiveness, hmm. and they're saying, well, don't, don't hold us to the same standard of every other hydro license in the state. Don't make us do gold standard, um, gold standard fish passage like we've been required to do on the Penobscot right up the road. So it, it doesn't make sense. Mm. And, and similarly, with the lake level and the water quality and so on, they're saying, well, don't hold us to the standard that you've already held other licenses to. Um, this is somehow exceptional. And we're saying, no, this isn't exceptional. Mm. If the standard applies to the Penobscot or the Kennebec, it should apply here. Mm -hmm. And um, this is critical habitat for endangered Atlantic salmon you must have the same level of fish passage that you have elsewhere. And they've, they've gone back to DEP just a week and a half ago and said, well, please just allow us to have 5.7 feet of water, not the 3.5 feet that is the standard. And, and they're essentially saying, well, we used to have 11.8, so just you know, let's bargain here. <laughs> well, the bargain that they're offering is not going to result in what we need. So they're, they're talking about 15 years for putting in fish passage um, with potentially a, a, a way in which they could kick that can further down the road. Same thing with the water quality. So that all we're asking for is that the same high standards be applied to the Union as are applied to other rivers in the state of Maine. And, and that's um, it's a pretty simple outcome. Right. Now, whether they are willing to do that is, is the question because they're, they're um, uh, well, they haven't had to be, you know, in recent times on this river. So they, they bought this, this river, essentially, these dams which control really the future of the river as a package with other dams around the state. So they it doesn't mean they necessarily wanted this one it just kind of came mm. with the package well let's open up the phone lines and see if there are um, listeners out there who have questions for our guests or perhaps um, they've got experience um, either as um, a camp owner or a lakeshore owner or a recreational um, user of the union river um, give us a call 1-800-866-1111 
Excuse me, 1-866-625-9378. That's 1-866-625-9378. And participate in our conversation about the Union River. So I've asked you what um, what your ideal outcome might be. Um, And now let's do some speculation. Um, How much um, value um, do you imagine this dam um, on the Union River is actually providing uh, for um, the, the, the power grid, for profits for um, uh, Brookfield. Is this a significant part of their, their package? Dwayne? Uh, we've, we've run some numbers like this. In fact, we hired an, an economist, natural resource economist, to come and work with us from Bowdoin, Dr. Uh, Herrera. And it's a, it's a very, very tiny bit of the grid. Uh, most of the energy is, is exported out of the state of Maine. Um, it's, a, it's a peak powering generation system, so essentially when the market price goes up, they turn the water on. It doesn't matter if it's 4th of July and everybody's having their picnics mm-hmm. and they're out on the lake. Well, it's like, uh, you know, flush, there it goes, and the power generation is produced for their benefit and theirs alone. So there are, there's a, an economic driver there. Um, if, and if you contrast that to the value of eels right now, so eel is the second most valuable fishery in the state of Maine, hmm. second only to lobster. And, and, and you're talking about both, <laughs> you're talking about elvers as well as adult eels? Correct, okay. when you put the two together, but yep. it's largely driven by the elvers, the young eel fishery, mm-hmm. which is underway right now. There, there is more money generated in Elvers in the current situation on that river than is being produced in power on that river. And with, with better access, um, we know that we'd have much, much higher productivity uh, in, for eels in general, and that this has to apply across all the rivers. But it's spe- speaking specifically about river herring, currently, I think last year the run was around 600,000. This river system should produce seven to ten million a year, uh, with the cost of bait just yeah. doubling or trebling. Um, for lobster fishery, elwives are bait, and there is a bait fish uh, market there. So when you start to look at at that in the equation and the changes, um, you suddenly realize well, you know this could be a very important economic driver, and that money goes directly to the city and directly to local harvesters, not to a massive corporation that operates, you know, so that money kind of that money kind of stays in the in the local bathtub, economic bathtub. Right. And the fish the fish do as well. And the young of course drop out to the sea and they feed our haddock and our other fish. So when you start to lay all those things out and you put that in contrast to power that could be replaced by perhaps three wind turbines as as Mark and I were talking about earlier or um, a couple hundred acres of solar panels, that's, that's what we're looking at here. Mm. So you know, these are our markets and technologies that are changing and a license that is being proposed for 35 to 40 years. So um, it, it just doesn't add up. one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. as we talk about the Union River and the relicensing process for the dam just above uh, uh, Route 1 in Ellsworth. Um, our guests are uh, Dwayne Shaw of the Salmon Federa- Downey Salmon Federation, um, Brad Perry, Friends of Graham Lake, and Mark Whiting um, with the Union Salmon Association. Um, so two of you have salmon in your, in your name. Um, you didn't mention them as part of the fisheries equa- equation. If, if we had the, the best situation, how would salmon fit into this equation? Dwayne, and then a little bit from well, Mark. <clears throat> this, this river system is about the same size as the Machias River system. So in, in, in the United States currently, Atlantic salmon are, are limited to Maine in terms of wild Atlantic salmon listed under the Endangered Species Act, and this is one of the rivers with designated critical habitat there could be, and there was back in the 80s, a salmon fishery here. However, those fish were stocked below the dam. They came back below the dam, and then people could angle for them there. 
um, without adequate fish passage, it's just a it's a dead end, and it and it's so they were never trucked above. A few fish were trucked okay. above, but there was of course no fish passage down through, so right. they may have sure. all the young went right through the turbines, and sure. we know that that's the case because it's all been documented right. now. So it's it's um, kind of a dead end in that sense. Mm -hmm. So the potential for salmon recovery and and people, you know, are quite. Um, they kind of throw up their hands and say, well, we've tried that, but we haven't really tried it, done it right, and that's what we're in the process of doing. And if the example that we give is the Tyne River in England, and if you, if anyone, the listeners will look that up, you'll see that the biggest success story in Europe of salmon recovery is done on a river where there, in fact, our there is one dam. However, there's a, a very modern um, style hatchery, modern management, and so on. So, and they've turned it around, and a river that was completely dead in terms of its salmon in the 50s and 60s, 70s, is now back, um, and they have thousands of salmon there, and mm. they're fishing for them. There's a lot of happy. I've mm. been over there to see mm. it, and, and a lot Mark, of happy you, people there. Mark, you've mentioned the the uh, the Penobscot um, as an example of how we work on these things. Could that happen for the Union? I think it could. Mm. Yeah. Um, going to take a few partners. Sure, but, sure. Yeah, I could see that happening. And and if and if Brookfield chooses to get out of the game, what what's 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 that look like? Dwayne? Well, I if um, if anyone's been to the Sebastocook River or to Benton Falls, you'll see um, a fish elevator on a dam and it runs 24-7 during mm -hmm. the alewife run. It's now the biggest alewife run in the United States. I think there's maybe close to 5 million fish showing up there now in a place where there were there were none for a couple hundred years, almost a couple hundred years. So the Edwards Dam was removed. It, it generated just a tiny bit of power down in downtown uh, Augusta 20 years ago. That dam was removed. The dam owner up above at Fort Halifax decided that it was a you know, antiquated dam, and it just didn't make sense for them to keep it. That was removed. The next dam up um, was installed with this elevator. So there's a success story. Mm. So that's, that's what we're looking at is how, how might Brookfield perhaps put power generation into Graham if need be or, um, and, and somehow um, find the means to put in the fishways that are needed. Mm -hmm. So it can be done, and we have the examples here in Maine. one 625 9378 What's your opinion about the Union River and its use of, of uh, electrical generating power? Uh, what do you think should be happening? one 625 9378 or locally, 469 um, So... Again, if if uh, Brookfield says, "Gosh, this isn't isn't for us anymore," I suppose they can try to sell, um, but they don't have a. If if they don't get the license, it isn't worth it, right? To sell. There's nothing to sell, basically. Yeah. So what what might happen if they again tr truly got out of the game? Would that have to be private conservation organizations coming in to support things like um, taking care of the dam, and and or would the dam be taken out? What's what are the speculations around that? So I don't think the dams are coming out. Okay. Um, so the the upper dam, the Graham Lake Dam, is needed to maintain the lake and maintain happy lakefront owners. Yep. The dam itself could be taken out, but it would need to be replaced by something that would maintain that water level, and we've. We've done those kind of projects before where we've replaced a dam with a rocky ripple. It, it's basically a natural-looking feature. Mm -hmm. looks like a waterfall, a, a terraced waterfall. It allows fish to come and go volitionally. Volition, volitionally. Whatever they want. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but it keeps the, the property owners happy. The other dam, <clears throat> I think, is simply too big. So you can't be bypassed. Um, you probably wouldn't want to take it out. It's still valuable for electricity. Um, I think a, an interesting possibility would be a locally owned public utility. could take that owner. It could be uh, run uh, by, this, by a ratepayers union or something like that. It would generate power that would be used to balance local solar. Um, and 
again, all of that energy would stay locally. Hmm. As a locally owned utility, <coughs> that money and that energy would remain local. Hmm. And that would be immensely beneficial. Let's take a call from one of our listeners. Go ahead, if you'd list your name, first name, and the town you're calling from, and then go ahead with your question or comment, please. Hi there, this is Ed. We've had a house on Graham Lake for about 16 years, and, well, we've had the high and the low of it. Um, with that over 11-foot you know, rise and fall with the lake that the Brookfields had, and uh, actually it's, it's been that way since the dam was put in, and probably in uh, 1908, but the past few years with Brookfield has really been bad as far as really high water in the spring, just washing out soil um, and, uh, uh, you know, knocking down trees. And then just in the reverse, in September through October, I don't see two, two summers ago, I was able to ride my bike out to the island, up a half a mile out into the into the lake. So, um and there's just thousands and thousands of freshwater mussels dead out there from the from the drop of the water. Uh, so it's um, it's a hard it's a hard thing to to see that happen to all the critters on the lake, and of course the uh, usefulness of the lake with the high and the, the low water levels the way they've been, it's not too good. So uh, that's my comment. I hope things get much better for the fish because it's it's really sad when you when you go down below the the, the dam, Ellsworth Dam there, and you see um, river herring with their, their heads cut off and and adult female eels trying to get back out to ocean to get to the Sargasso Sea to reproduce. And, you know, they're there, they're pregnant, and they're also cut up in three pieces, these three-foot-long eels. That's really sad. Mm. But I hope things get better. Thanks for your call this morning. one 9378 Talk about the Union River. Can, could I say yeah, something? Yeah, please. I think you know, the way things are going to get better here is when people organize. And, and this is what the Downey Salmon Federation does. It's what the Friends of Graham Lake does. It's what Union Salmon Association does. So we've, we've got to get engaged. And the way to do that is by participating by becoming a member, by further your understanding of the, what's at play here, and then um, stepping up. Mm. Um, and that's what's happened on the Penobscot. That's what's happened in many, many places in, um, at all kinds of scales. So I don't think we need to be intimidated by the scale of this issue because, like I've, I've mentioned, what happened on the Kennebec, is resulting in sturgeon now showing up in places because they and on the Penobscot, in places where we haven't seen them in a long time. Um, you give these fish half a chance, and they can rebound. And that's kind of um, what I had mentioned earlier: is that we have to be realistic and and not uh, throw up our hands or become cynical. Because we have examples right here in Maine. Maine is a leader in river restoration and fisheries restoration. We've got to, we can do even more than what we've done already. Let's and take another phone call and we'll see where that goes. Uh, go ahead, uh, if you'd list your first name and where you're calling from, and then go ahead with your question or comment, please. Uh, yes, good morning, Ron. This is Medea. I'm calling from Franklin, just Great. a little north of Ellsworth. Um, I wanted to bring up something that hasn't been mentioned yet. Of course, hydropower is certainly um, a great renewable energy source, but there is there are some concerns, increasing concerns associated with um, hydropower and climate effects. So methane <clears throat> is generated from reservoirs where we see bacteria living in oxygen-starved environments. And um, the, the percentage of um, contribution that was previously thought it has actually been um, reconsidered, and now they think that um, that it's you know that those levels of man-made methane emissions are higher than the original 20% that people were talking about. So it it is a great renewable source of energy, but um, there are 
intersections with climate that need to be considered, and I just wanted to bring that into the conversation. Thanks so much, Medea, for your call this morning. one 625 9378 We probably have time for one more call if there's anybody out there. Um, so uh, the, 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 our knowledge is changing. The last time this was li- licensed, um, uh, 35 years ago, um, we had one set of standards. Things have changed. We've, we've gotten new knowledge, a turbidity study that w- hadn't been done before. What else do we need to do? If we organize, what else do we need to do? Um, how, how does the organization then um, help resolve um, this situation? Have you got other partners, um, uh, Dwayne, besides the group around this table? Um, we, we do, yeah. There's a number of other partners that are taking a look at this. And, and these things sometimes get solved outside of the strictly the regulatory process so that, um, unfortunately, the courts often get involved. Mm. And so we have uh, begun some discussions with the Conservation Law Foundation, and they're examining the situation here in terms of its, you know, the precedent that it may set if DEP or FERC or NOAA fisheries were to allow sort of an exemption to occur. And and we're saying, no, we don't think this, this is exemption worthy, that this should be uh, approach just like any other relicensing. So that that could um, require resources, and the listeners um, could participate in helping us to potentially um, step up to into a situation that might might come about that's along those lines. And, and that is, um, if people might remember, the Dickie Lincoln Dam that was proposed for the St. John and the Allagash or the Big A Dam, or the Basin Mills Dams, and a number of new dams that were being proposed not that long ago. Um, And then what it took to prevent that from happening, and then um, the same thing can occur with relicensings. These are, this is not um, a time to fool around. This is a once in a generation opportunity, and we really have to put our our minds and our resources to this. Hmm. That's a great place to then um, allow each of you to say, how do people get involved in your organizations? Dwayne, start with you, and, and you know, how, how do people get involved in the Downey Salmon Federation? Maybe list your website, for instance. Sure. Um, Downey Salmon Federation, while it's, um, we're on the web, you can just Google Downey Salmon Federation, but a great way would be to come tomorrow to Columbia Falls and see us in action. Come to see the dam that was that was built in the 70s that that essentially destroyed that river, which we fought against in the early 80s, and then the results of that were that it was, you know, it it didn't work. It was, uh, um, uh, it was so you, poorly constructed. The fishway didn't work, so ultimately um, that dam had to go. And not every not everyone is going to be on the landscape forever. So. We shouldn't assume necessary. So come and see us. Come and find us. Join up. You can join online on our website. You can participate in, as a volunteer. Uh, we have people of, from all walks of life involved. Right. How about you, Brad? How would you want um, uh, other lakeshore owners to get in touch with you? Well, I want to say first, we really are enjoying having these partners here, mm. the fisheries. We were came into this with a little trepidation because we were afraid they wanted to take the dams away. Mm. But we are able to get together, have conversations, coordinate our strategies. Uh, I would say the first place to try to get information about the lake is uh, we have a Facebook page, Friends of Graham Lake. Great. Start there. You can find out what the conversations are amongst us as well as what's being done. Great. How about you, Mark? In terms of the Union Salmon Association, is that a is that a, something you're looking for members and supporters? Oh, <clears throat> oh absolutely. So we <clears throat> we also have a Facebook page. <clears throat> That's probably the best way to find us. Great, great. So last last word, um, your your hope for the future in the next um, year. What might be happening in the next year? You want what? <laughs> Solid <laughs> lake levels. Lake levels for my grandchildren. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And f- good fishing. Better, cleaner water. Brook- Brookfield becomes a good neighbor. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, thanks to all of you for joining us this morning. We've come to the end of the hour. Be sure to join us from 10 to 11 on the second Friday morning of each month for Talk of the Towns. Podcasts of our program can be found in the archive section of the WERU website. If you have comments or suggestions for topics for future programs, please email us at news at weru.org. Tune into our companion program for Coastal Conversations with Natalie Springle of UMaine Sea Grant from 10 to 11 on the fourth Friday of each month. Our music is a medley from Coronac on a Balmain House Highland music recording. Thanks again to our guests in the studio, uh, Dwayne Shaw of the Downey Salmon Federation, Brad Perry, Friends of Graham Lake, and Mark Whiting, a board member for the Union Salmon Association. Uh, thanks to those of you who listened and called in with your questions and ex- experience. Thanks to our underwriters. Thanks to uh, Joel Mann for engineering our program. And stay tuned for On the Wing with Joel Raymond. This is Ron Beard, your host for Talk of the Towns, wishing you a good morning. Support for WERU comes from our 